The Sentinel program was originally conceived by Dr. Bolivar Trask. In the early 70s, he was one of the world's leading weapons designers. But covertly, he had begun experimenting on mutants, using their gifts to fuel his own research. There was one mutant who had discovered what he was doing. A mutant with the ability to transform herself into anyone. Mystique. I knew her as Raven. We met when we were children, grew up together. She was like a sister to me. I tried to help her, but only succeeded in driving her away. She hunted Trask across the world, and at the Paris Peace Accords in 1973, after the Vietnam War, she found Trask. And killed him. It was the first time she killed him. Wasn't her last. But killing Trask did not have the outcome she expected. It only persuaded the government of the need for his program. They captured her that day, tortured her, experimented on her. In her DNA, they discovered the secrets to her powers of transformation. It gave them the key they needed to create weapons that could adapt to any mutant power. And in less than 50 years, the machines that have destroyed so many of our kind were created. But it all started that day in 1973. The day she first killed. The day she truly became Mystique. Do you want to go back there? If I can get to her, stop the assassination, keep her out of their hands, then we can stop the Sentinels from ever being born. And end this war before it ever begins. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the I'm Emma, welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 223, X-Men, Days of Future Past. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, welcome to Verbal Diorama, whether you're a brand new listener, whether you are a regular returning listener, thank you for being here. Welcome back. If you are returning, thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. I know there are so many podcasts out there. There are so many movie podcasts out there as well, but... I'm so happy to have you here for the history and legacy of X-Men Days of Future Past. This is the first episode in what I like to call Sequel Timber. Before we get stuck into that, a huge thanks for the most excellent reactions to the most recent episodes. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and The Wedding Singer. All movies that I love, all movies that I have a lot of time for. And all movies that you guys also seem to love as well, because it's always so great to get such wonderful reactions to episodes. Mostly welcome to sequel Temba, the sequel. This is a sequel to last September's sequel Temba, 
and contains sequels to previous episodes of this podcast. And there are some absolutely terrific podcasts out there who do look at sequels. Check out friends of this podcast, Sequelizers and Sequel Pitch. If you want sequels only, I'm often asked when I do an episode on the first movie of franchise, when are you going to have the history and legacy of the sequel to this movie? And so I created Sequel Temper just to purely focus on these sequels. And last year, it was actually a really big success. I did Grease 2, which is the unofficial start to Sequel Temper. I never did an episode on Grease, but I love Grease 2. It is the superior Grease. And no, don't come for me. I did episodes last Sequel Temper on Spider-Man 2, Blade 2, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and Adam's Family Values. And the wonderful reception that I got to all of those episodes was amazing. And so we start Sequel Temper 2023 with the sequel to last June's episode on X-Men First Class. Itself a movie that didn't deserve to be as good as it was, but it really, really was. And when a sequel was announced, fan expectation was understandably high. Not only was it going to adapt a much beloved and influential comic book storyline, it also announced it was bringing the original trilogy cast and the new cast together for the first and only time. So without further ado, here is the trailer for X-Men Days of Future Past. So many battles waged over the years. And yet, none of them like this. Are we destined to destroy each other? Or can we change who we are and unite? Is the future truly set? Mutants, we now find ourselves on the edge of extinction. You'll need to go into the past to end this war before it ever begins. Use your power. Bring the X-Men together. It's going to take the two of us. Side by side at a time when we couldn't be further apart. You took the things that mean the most to me. Maybe you should have fought harder for them. There is a new enemy out there. Mutants. You'll need a new weapon for this war. I know what I have to do. It's us with them. Years wasted fighting each other, Charles. I've watched a lot of people die. Friends. We've been given a second chance. Guide us. Lead us. I don't want your future! You're afraid. I remember. In 
2023, mutants and the humans who helped them are slaughtered by powerful robots called Sentinels. The remaining X-Men, Professor Xavier, Wolverine, Magneto, Storm, Kitty Pride, and a handful of others meet at a monastery in China. And Xavier explains that the Invincible Sentinels were created using the DNA of Mystique, captured in 1973 when she tried to assassinate their creator, Dr. Bolivar Trask. Xavier says that their only chance is to return to 1973, using Kitty Pride's abilities to join the younger Charles Xavier and Eric Lenscher and convince Mystique to spare Trask's life in order to save the future. However, only Wolverine can withstand the damages of time travel, and he didn't know young Charles or young Eric. Let's run through the astonishing little X-Men pun for you there, cast of this movie. We have Hugh Jackman as Logan, a.k.a. Wolverine, James McAvoy and Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier, a.k.a. Professor X, Michael Fassbender and Ian McKellen as Eric Lenscher, a.k.a. Magneto, Jennifer Lawrence as Raven, a.k.a. Mystique, Halle Berry as Storm, Nicholas Holt as Hank McCoy, a.k.a. Beast, Anna Paquin as Rogue, Elliot Page as Kitty Pride, Peter Dinklage as Dr. Bolivar Trask, Sean Ashmore as Bobby Drake, a.k.a. Iceman, Omar Sy as Bishop, Evan Peters as Peter Maximoff, a.k.a. Quicksilver, Josh Hellman as Major William Stryker, Daniel Kudmore as Colossus, Fan Bingbing as Blink, Aidan Canto as Sunspot, and Boo Boo Stewart as Warpath. Reprising their roles in cameos, Fabke Janssen as Jean Grey, James Marsden as Scott Summers, and Kelsey Grammer as Beast. X-Men Days of Future Past has a screenplay by Simon Kinberg, story by Jane Goldman, Simon Kinberg, and Matthew Vaughan, based on X-Men by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and Days of Future Past by Chris Claremont and John Byrne, and was directed by Ryan Singer. So before we start on this gargantuan episode, I've covered the history of the X-Men characters before several times, actually. Check out episodes 56, 111, and 156 on X-Men, X-Men 2, and X-Men First Class if you want any context and background on the original comic book, its roots, and also how much Brian Singer is the worst. I'm not going to repeat it in detail here. Just know that he's been accused of multiple sexual assault allegations in the years since Days of Future Past release. We're not here to talk about him. He will unfortunately have to be mentioned, but he is one of thousands of people who worked on this movie and its legacy goes way beyond him. Now, an action story involving time travel, dystopian futures and evil robots is nothing new in 2023. Just a few years ago, we had Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, and they were the culmination of several interweaving stories, multiple characters, traveling through time to change the future. In 1981, however, things were different. Comic book fans were used to a different pop culture landscape. The original Days of Future Past storyline completely changed the game and told a tale unlike anything fans had ever seen in just two issues of Uncanny X-Men. In fact, it's probably among some of the most important comics ever written. Even the cover image on the first issue of Uncanny X-Men number 141 done by series artist John Byrne, is one of the most famous and imitated comics covers ever published. Days of Future Past itself was born of a split. The working relationship of John Byrne and writer Chris Claremont was coming to an end after Marvel decided to move Byrne to Fantastic Four. 
They had worked on the series together since 1977 and in that time had rocketed it to the top of the sales charts. They'd written the most acclaimed stories in X-Men history to date and this was their penultimate arc on X-Men together. So they decided to go out with a bang. Just a few months earlier, they'd shocked fans by killing off one of the original X-Men, Jean Grey, in the Dark Phoenix storyline. They'd been flooded with hate mail, but sales went through the roof. So they decided to up the ante. Forget killing one beloved character. What about killing all of them? Frankly, death sells in comic books. And to facilitate mass death, you need a villain capable. And so the Sentinels were brought in. Originally created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, in the X-Men number 14 in November 1965, the Sentinels were three-story tall robots with the sole intention to locate mutants and capture or kill them, thus creating essentially mutant genocide. Years later, Byrne realised he'd accidentally stolen from another sci-fi tale, the 1972 Doctor Who television series, Day of the Daleks, in which the Daleks take over the world. Luckily, there were enough differences to not get sued, Although Day of the Daleks included a robotic dystopia, it also features a happy ending. The original Days of Future Past would not. Walking through a bombed out Manhattan in 2013 while wearing what appears to be a prison uniform is Kitty Pride. Kitty, who had been 13 when the previous issue had been published, is now seemingly in her 40s. The narration box would tell us that this is New York, the Big Apple. Once upon a time, it was a nice place to live. It is no longer. The street is Park Avenue in the upper 70s. When Kate Pride was a child, it was one of the swankiest neighbourhoods in the city, if not the world. Now it's a slum. Abandoned, derelict, dying, much like the city, the country, the planet around it. Welcome to the 21st century. This was a serial storytelling like anyone knew before. It doesn't seemingly connect any issue before it. Kitty, now named Kate, reconnects with an older Wolverine. They discuss the UK's plans to nuke the United States and how to avoid Sentinels, mutant-killing robots that had been absent from the X-Men comics for some time at that point. A queue of gravestones bearing the names of different heroes is seen. When Kitty arrives at some sort of mutant prison in the Bronx, she encounters a depressed small group of X-Men, including an uncharacteristically kind and wheelchair-bound Magneto. A previously unseen character, Rachel Summers, daughter of the alternate future Scott Summers and Jean Grey, puts Kitty into a trance, and Kitty's soul is flung out across the abyss of eternity, so the comic tells us. Her teenage body is thrust back in time into the present day of 1980, and she tells her bewildered teammates that she has been given a mission. Stop the killing of a politician who is against mutants, and stop the ensuing Sentinel takeover. On occasion, the action in the future is brought back where the X-Men attempt to defeat the Sentinels but fail miserably. Wolverine is horrifyingly burned to death and Storm is killed by a spear stabbed to the spine. Kitty stops the assassination in the present and abandons her teenage body, but the tale comes to an uncertain conclusion. Did they prevent the future as they know it from occurring? As Professor Xavier would say, only time will tell. It was ambiguous, depressing and morbid and there was nothing in comics history like it. Many authors, illustrators, comic book editors, and filmmakers were inspired by it, and the effect of Days of Future Past has been felt for more than three decades. The narrative fundamentally altered the X-Men universe for all time, 
And there have been a number of sequels and reimaginings of the comic book story since 1981. Soon after arriving in the present, Rachel Summers rose to prominence in the X-Men and has remained there ever since. There were spin-off events like 1990's Days of Future Present, 1996's Days of Future Tense, 1997's Wolverine, Days of Future Past, 2005's Weapon X, Days of Future Now, the list goes on. Both the X-Men cartoon from the 1990s and the Wolverine and the X-Men cartoon from the 2000s were adapted from it. The narrative debuted the theme of time travel that would become essential to the X-Men series, for better or worse. Since then, characters have been repeatedly thrown back and forth in time, building and destroying parallel universes in each new story. Which brings us to the X-Men movie universe. Days of Future Past doesn't just retcon the X-Men cinematic universe. If you believe there's only one timeline, it destroys it. But the rules of time travel generally are that a change in time creates an offshoot timeline. And this movie creates that offshoot. And to be honest, in the comics world of X-Men, continuity issues have always been a thing. There's a lot. We're not going to go through them. But the movie timeline as it stands starts in 1845 with the opening scenes of X-Men Origins Wolverine with young James Howlett as a child. In 1944, the opening scenes of First Class, with young Charles meeting young Raven and young Eric in a Nazi concentration camp. In 1945, Logan is a prisoner of war in Japan. In 1962, we get X-Men First Class, the first meeting supposedly of Charles and Eric. In 1979, Logan's bones are coated in adamantium by William Stryker. In 1986, Charles and Eric together try to recruit Jean Grey via flashback in The Last Stand. The first X-Men movie came out in 2000 when Logan is an amnesiac and ends up meeting Rogue and happening upon Xavier's School for the Gifted, where Eric is trying to turn all the world leaders into mutants. 2003, the second X-Men movie, set just after the first, unites the X-Men and the Brotherhood against Stryker's machine that will kill all mutants. 2006, X-Men The Last Stand, a cure is developed, which accidentally turns Mystique human, Jean Grey becomes the phoenix, Scott is killed, Charles is turned to dust, and Eric is injected by the cure. Logan kills Jean, Rogue chooses to take the cure, but Charles is actually still alive, somehow. 2013's The Wolverine shows Logan suffering post-Jean's death, and we get the 1945 flashback, showing him saving Yoshida from the atomic bomb. Yoshida wants his healing abilities, and at the end of the movie, we have both Eric with powers, and Charles, not dead, approaching Logan at an airport, telling him of the oncoming Sentinel threat in Days of Future Past, which is set in 2023. Oh, that's this year. So a united Charles and Eric, along with mutants we know, like Storm and Kitty Pride, along with some newbies like Blink and Sunspot, are fighting Sentinels that can mimic any mutant ability, and they are the last surviving mutants hiding in Russia and China. They use Kitty to send Logan back in time to 1973 to stop Mystique from killing Bolivar Trask, the creator of the Sentinels. In doing so, they change history and create a new X-Men timeline offshoot starting in 1973, with Trask no longer assassinated, Eric attempting to kill President Nixon instead. Ten years later, in 1983, Apocalypse is awoken and decides to create four horsemen using Magneto, Psylocke, Angel and Storm. Charles Mutant Academy welcomes new students, Scott, Jean, and Jubilee. They band together when Apocalypse's four horsemen start to enact Apocalypse's world domination plan, leading to 1992 and Dark Phoenix as Jean Grey is hit by a cosmic entity and becomes the Phoenix again in this timeline, ignoring the previous timeline. And yes, 
in between 1962 and 1992, no one has visibly aged at all. Oil of Olay is prevalent in this timeline. Deadpool is a bit of an anomaly, but we can hazard a guess that it takes place in the new timeline of 2016 because the original Wade Wilson Deadpool of X-Men Origins Wolverine is ignored despite this Wade Wilson reference it, but that's just what Deadpool does. He's meta. He knows things about both timelines, which is going to be fun when it comes to Deadpool 3. In this timeline, Logan returns to 2023 after Trask is saved and the Sentinels no longer exist. Everyone is in the X-Mansion, alive and well, including Jean, Scott and Beast. Logan, the best X-Men movie by a long shot, seems to exist in a parallel universe where both timelines simultaneously both exist and don't exist. But that's a story for another time. <laughs> Far too much confusion going on in these two timelines. But that's a brief rundown of the timeline as it currently exists. But how did this movie in particular come about? Well, I'm glad you asked because as early as 2006, the new cast members of The Last Stand, which came out that year, were signed to multi-picture contracts. But the main cast contractual obligations had been fulfilled, with X-Men First Class having a brand new cast and just one minor cameo from Hugh Jackman. The original cast were technically retired at this point. Obviously, have a listen to episode 156 on the story of the history and legacy of X-Men First Class. Any continuation featuring the old cast would require a renegotiation. But when First Class debuted, it was seen as the first film in a brand new trilogy with the new cast taking centre stage and any retcons as appropriate taking the franchise into a new direction. And in 2011, First Class director Matthew Vaughan discussed the ending of First Class setting up a sequel and producer Brian Singer suggested the next chapters would be set in the 70s and 80s, respectively. In an interview back in 2011 with HitFix, Vaughan revealed his sequel ideas, quote, I've got some ideas for the opening of the next film. I thought it would be fun to open with the Kennedy assassination and would reveal that the magic bullet was controlled by Magneto. That would explain the physics of it. And we see that he's peed off because Kennedy took the credit for saving the world and mutants weren't even mentioned. And we could go from there. And I've got some fun ideas about what other mutants to bring in. I don't want to tempt fate, though. If the film's a hit, of course I'd be interested. I really enjoyed making it, unquote. Vaughan was set to direct the sequel to X-Men First Class with Brian Singer returning as producer and another familiar name returning as well, Simon Kinberg, co-writer of X-Men The Last Stand. Matthew Vaughan, though, would end up leaving Days of Future Past as director, instead moving to Kingsman The Secret Service. Vaughan wanted to complete his X-Men trilogy, but wanted to finish it with Days of Future Past, not have that as the follow-up to First Class. Vaughan wanted the second film to be an introduction to Young Wolverine in the 70s, with Tom Hardy as his ideal choice. Days of Future Past would instead be set in the 80s. Vaughan, who co-wrote the story, submitted his ideas to 20th Century Fox, who wanted to bypass the second movie completely and go straight to Days of Future Past. That didn't sit well with Vaughan, who decided to move on, and Singer was announced as director instead, his third entry in the series. Simon Kinberg was hired to write the screenplay in November 2011, and the Days of Future Past story became the primary source for the movie, but he substituted the Kitty Pride character travelling through time with Wolverine, not only because of his regenerative abilities, or the fact that Hugh Jackman had been the face of the franchise since 2000, but also the character of Kitty was in her early 20s in the 2023 scene and wouldn't therefore exist in 1973, so couldn't travel back to her past self. 
The first draft of the screenplay also included the character of Rachel Summers sending Wolverine back, but it was decided to include Kitty Pride as an existing character from the old timeline of movies, again played by Elliot Page, who had a new secondary ability to send a person's consciousness back in time. Ironically, Kimberg studied time travel movies, including The Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day, itself very similar in tone and plot to the comic book Days of Future Past, which came out in 1981, predating The Terminator by three years. James Cameron would also consult with Brian Singer on time travel, multiverse and string theory, and Chris Claremont would also consult based on his original story, as well as have a brief cameo in the movie. Original trilogy actors would need to be approached, and while the current actors, James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence and Nicholas Holt were ready to go, everything was up in the air until Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen would commit to return to the roles. Both were busy with a touring production of Waiting for Godot at the time, but both would commit to three weeks of filming to play their original incarnations of Charles and Eric. Brian Singer would utilise Twitter to announce casting for the film, which was highly anticipated by fans of the franchise and characters due to the storyline they were adapting, plus the rumours of old and new cast uniting. Casting announcements were posted between November 2012 through to mid-production in January 2014. Halle Berry would also return, pregnant with her second child at the time of filming, for seven days of work. Elliot Page would commit to three weeks and Anna Paquin to five days. New faces to the franchise would include Peter Dinklage, who filmed Days of Future Past alongside his commitment to Game of Thrones, Fan Bing Bing and Boo Boo Stewart. Now, usually the number of days filming correlates to the amount of time the character has on screen. You'll realise I said Anna Paquin had five days of filming, and yes, we're going to be coming to the rogue cut, don't worry. Most of the cast didn't interact with each other, but James McAvoy would experience meeting Patrick Stewart's Charles Xavier on his first day of shooting and Stewart's last day of shooting. While McAvoy would lament not having much screen time with his buddy Michael Fassbender, he relished in the experience of working with Nicholas Holt again and franchise stalwart Hugh Jackman, whom he nicknamed Hugo Boss because Hugh goes into Hugo and Boss because Hugh Jackman is the boss. This is Charles's movie, and so the meeting of the two Charles had a huge expectation among the fan base. Charles has gone from the cad we knew in the 60s to depressed and reliant on Hank's concoction of drugs, keeping from experiencing the pain of his powers and his injuries in the 70s. With such a huge cast of new and old faces, scheduling was tricky. Most of the cast was part-time only, and so filming started in April 2013 in Montreal, Canada, with additional filming in Washington, D.C. and across Quebec. X-Men Days of Future Past is the first X-Men film to be filmed in native 3D, using Ariel XEM cameras with Leica Prime lenses and Fujinon zoom lenses, along with Reality Technica TS35 camera rigs and stereo image processor technology systems. Also returning from the first X-Men movie in 2000 is production designer John Meyer. He would rebuild his original sets for the underground hallway and Cerebro, as well as place hidden X's all over the set. He wanted to embrace the 70s the way First Class embraced the 60s. For the design of the Sentinels, he used 70s retro moulded plastic as the idea for the Sentinels build, including purple panels to pay homage to their comic book counterparts. And when it came to the future 2023, the scale of the future sets were big enough for an entire movie all by themselves. It included sets featuring a hillside monastery. Mer was inspired by Chinese temples built on the side of cliffs. It also featured a mixture of architectural styles from China, India and Indonesia. 
Part of the set was a big wall which was inspired by the Great Wall of China and this was all despite his usual six month lead time being reduced to three to four months due to the filming schedule beginning in earnest. Costume designer Louise Mingenbach also drew heavily from 1970s styles for the clothing scene in 1973. Nicholas Holt wore corduroys, Hugh Jackman a wood panel buckle and peacock print shirt and James McAvoy wore a vintage brown leather jacket. Evan Peters wore 1981-inspired clothing, and this was Mingenbach's way of showing Quicksilver's irreverence for the exact time and place. Practical visual effects were done by Legacy FX, who built life-size sentinels to be featured on set. They had articulated joints to be fully poseable. Richard Stammers, who'd previously worked on Prometheus, impressed Brian Singer enough to get the job of visual effects supervisor, with a total of 1,311 visual effects shots in Days of Future Past, with the most iconic being Quicksilver's assistance to escape from the Pentagon, showing time coming to a standstill as he views it when he runs fast. Rising Sun Pictures were in charge of this key scene to Time in a Buckle by Jim Croce. After performing a LiDAR scan of the kitchen set, the digital recreation added computer-generated props, including cooking utensils, cutlery, vegetables, and the water released by the sprinkler system. These props were rendered in almost microscopic detail with regard to placement and lighting, especially since the footage had to be 3D compatible. Evan Peters and a stunt double were photographed on a treadmill in front of a chroma key green screen, as well as in sets suspended by a harness to simulate Quicksilver running along the walls. Digital replacements were restricted to Evan Peters' legs only. Despite only having 29 effect shots, the sequence took the team of 70 artists maybe seven months to complete. Digital Domain also worked on the 1973 section, including the Sentinels and Mystique's transformation, plus turning a remote airstrip into a Vietnam prisoner camp. The transformations of Beast, the constructions of Xavier's plane and Quicksilver's speed effects were all handled by Rhythm and Hughes Studios. Mystique's eyes and costume adjustments were worked on by Moco Studio. Since Jennifer Lawrence had experienced skin rashes from the full body makeup used in first class, the process was changed so that it would be a bodysuit from the neck down, with the zip being digitally removed during post-production. As a result, her makeup procedure only took three hours, as opposed to eight in the previous film. Mystique's scales were digitally sculpted by Legacy Effects, who reduced their size and positioned them to emphasise Mystique's face. The happy ending of the film, which retcons everything from The Last Stand, reunites Logan with everyone in the expansion, including Scott, Gene and a brief cameo from Kelsey Grammer's Beast. Grammer flew into Canada incognito to avoid drawing attention to himself and the cameo itself was shrouded in secrecy. Even the makeup was redone slightly to Grammer's terms but he arrived, sat in the makeup chair for several hours just to film a brief few seconds greeting Logan at the school. Grammer would say that the character of Beast was very close to his heart and he was more than happy to come back for a brief cameo. But we need to talk about the rogue in the room, don't we? So let's talk about rogue. Anna Paquin originally filmed five days worth of material, but her scenes would end up cut for time and narrative reasons, with reshoots happening to change the previous rogue material. It included rogue being experimented on in the remains of Cerebro, which makes total sense with her mutation. Inexplicably back after the last stand, but then so is Magneto's, but let's not question it because maybe the cure didn't fully work. We don't know. When Kitty is injured by Wolverine accidentally slicing her, Bobby suggests rescuing Rogue to take Kitty's place. Why they didn't want to rescue her beforehand is anyone's guess, 
But Rogue is rescued by Magneto and Bobby, but Bobby dies in the process. Rogue absorbs Kitty's powers and takes over from Kitty to keep Wolverine in 1973. The rescue of Rogue means the Sentinels can find them, as a Sentinel's hand is severed in the X-Jet during their escape, and it contains a tracking beacon. The Rogue cut is often seen as superior, with Rogue's relationship with Wolverine being key in the first X-Men movie, despite subsequent movies not really knowing what to do with her. In the theatrical release, Rogue is reduced to a brief two-second cameo in the happily ever after scene, for which Anna Paquin still got seventh binning above Elliot Page and Peter Dinklage, both of whom had considerably more screen time and plot. But when you're Oscar winner Anna Paquin, you get seventh billing for two seconds of screen time. The road cut was released on the 14th of July 2015 and was also screened at San Diego Comic-Con in 2015 and is widely seen by most fans as being the superior cut of the movie. And speaking of superior, we're going to segue into the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode because we're going to be talking about the superior man it is the obligatory Keanu reference. It is where I try and link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. Every episode, it has to be unique. So I can't reuse a previous X-Men obligatory Keanu reference. But last week, I mentioned that a YouTuber had done my work for me. Well, this episode has also been done for me by a video on YouTube because it explains that The Matrix, starring Keanu Reeves, is actually the same movie as Days of Future Past. I will pop a link in the show notes to this video because it is a fascinating video and it does feature Keanu Reeves so it's a great way to link him to Days of Future Past because according to this YouTuber, they are the same movie. Have a watch of the video and see if you agree. Link in the show notes. John Ottman, a frequent collaborator of Brian Singer, would contribute to the film's score and serve as its editor and by doing so, he made history by becoming the first composer to score more than one X-Men movie after previously scoring X-Men 2. He recycled several of the themes from X-Men 2, including the title theme, the first for an X-Men movie. I've obviously already mentioned the inclusion of Time in a Bottle, which has since become the standout scene of the movie. But the movie also includes Roberta Flack's The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face as well. We're going to go back in time to May 2012 when 20th Century Fox announced that X-Men Days Future Past would be released on the 18th of July 2014. That release was later moved forward to 23rd of May 2014, which pleased everyone working on the film except Richard Stammers because that meant he had even less time for the visual effects to be completed. The world premiere of X-Men Days of Future Past would take place in New York City on the 10th of May 2014 with a wide release on the 23rd of May 2014, debuting at number one the same week as the Adam Sandler-Drew Barrymore rom-com Blended, which I mentioned last episode. It would only stay at number one for a week, though, as the following weekend saw the release of Maleficent, and in its third week it dropped to fourth behind new releases The Fault in Our Stars and Edge of Tomorrow, which is another great time travel movie, by the way. There's also an episode on that in the back catalogue, too. The opening weekend of X-Men Days Future Past brought in $263 million worldwide, making it the highest opening weekend ever for an X-Men movie, before being surpassed by Deadpool two years later. On its $200 million budget, it would gross $234 million domestically in the US and $512 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $746 million, still the highest grossing X-Men film to date not taking the two Deadpools into account. If you take the two Deadpools into account, it is the third highest grossing X-Men film to date. 
And Days of Future Past is generally regarded by fans and critics to be one of the high points in a mixed bag within the X-Men franchise. It sits at 90% of Rotten Tomatoes, just below Logan's 94%, and just above First Class's 86%. It was also the first X-Men movie to be nominated for an Oscar for Best Visual Effects, which it lost to Interstellar. It was also nominated for a BAFTA for Best Special Visual Effects, again losing out to Interstellar. I do need to talk about some sequels though, because the post credit sequence was set up one of the X-Men's greatest and most influential villains, Apocalypse. And two years later, we got X-Men Apocalypse, which had so much potential, but was mostly squandered. And to be honest, to complete the set, I probably will do an episode on X-Men Apocalypse at some point. But um, yeah, considering the cast of that movie, considering the promise of that movie, it's not all that great. Uh, there are some high points in it, and I will argue there are high points in Dark Phoenix as well. But yeah, it's just such a shame about X-Men Apocalypse. But now that the rights to the X-Men are quote-unquote home with Marvel Studios, who knows what's going to happen next when it comes to reboots of the franchise. Undoubtedly, Kevin Feige has a plan to introduce the X-Men to the MCU, but I guess we shall see how that goes, especially with Deadpool 3 and the return of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. So, let's move over to some social media thoughts. And I like to ask on social media what people think of the movies that I'm featuring. I ask on Patreon and I also ask across social media too. But we're going to start with patrons and we're going to start with pretty old commenter Andy, who says, while I'm firmly in the X-Men First Class camp, Days of Future Past still has a lot to recommend it, especially now that I can compare it to another Fix the Timeline movie in The Flash. Let me tell you, Days of Future Past absolutely crushes The Flash. While it's understandable that they decided to use Hugh Jackman's Logan as the time travel vessel, as opposed to Elliot Page's Kitty Pride, as in the comics, it would have been nice to have given another X-Man a chance to shine, a gripe of the entire X-Series, even though I adore Logan. With that said, it's probably the best X-Men storyline adaptation in the Singerverse, and the Peter time in a bottle scene just completely rules, and begs the question as to why more cinematic speedsters can't just be fast. If a patron has their own podcast, I do recommend that podcast, so obviously you know of Andy's podcast Geek Salad. It is the one-stop shop for all of your geeky, nerdy podcast needs. I know they love comic books over at Geek Salad. I'll put a link in the show notes for that podcast. Please have a listen guarantee you will find something to enjoy we have a patron comment from brett who says i love first class and was very excited when the first trailer for this came out seeing the timeline changes and both universes coming together blew my mind and didn't disappoint i love fassbender and mcavoy and the rest of the first class cast and you can't go wrong with jackman as wolverine it's my favorite x-men film to date and i wish they could have given us better sequels and brett also has his own podcast it is called the set that film and, well, they dissect that film. Every episode, the good, the bad, the ugly. They do movie reviews. It's Brett, Dan, and Angela. I'll put a link in the show notes for their podcast as well. We have a patron comment from Derek who says, It's funny how most of the not-so-great X-Men movies are attempts to adapt major comic book storylines. However, Days of Future Past proves that cinematic interpretations of famous X-Men comics can work. The cast is stellar. The story is wonderfully told and it doesn't get too bogged down into time travel mechanics. All in all, it's one of the best in the franchise. And coincidentally, Derek's podcast is also one of the best in the franchise of podcasting. 
he hosts The Midnight Myth with his wife, Laurel, and their podcast is absolutely fascinating. I always learn so much from The Midnight Myth. I'll also pop a link in the show notes to Derek's podcast as well. We also have a comment from Zoe who said, I love this film. It absolutely recaptured the thrill, imagination and promise of the first X-Men movie. It did a great job of merging the mythologies and characters of the original films and the first class films. It was an unexpected pleasure. And another unexpected pleasure is Zoe's podcast, Backdog Cinema, where he actually travels back in time, coincidentally, to the cinema of the 70s, 80s and 90s that he grew up with. So if you enjoy a podcast that does travel back in time and does talk about those retro classics that he introduces to his own son, then you will love Backlog Cinema. And I will put some info in the show notes for that. And the final patron comment comes from Brendan, who says, Not as fresh and effective as First Class, but easily the best singer-directed X-film. Days of Future Past feels almost like a dry run at the timeline and universe hopping that has become so intrinsic to superhero movies lately and remains an entertaining acting effects showcase. Which I completely agree with. I certainly think that maybe Kevin Feige saw this movie and thought, oh, that's what I want to do with the MCU, but that's not being confirmed or denied. Moving over to Twitter, we have at Nikolai's Kitchen, who said, Rewatch today just to reply to this, and my God, it holds up. The performances are incredible, particularly Lawrence, McAvoy and Fassbender. The depth of their emotional performances are why this film works. You really, truly understand each of their motives, undercut by the gravity of the future they're trying to avoid. We feel the desperation of the mutants in the future and the futility of their heroic fight against far superior killing machines. It was so much to manage to weave together, but it is a stunning achievement. I adore it. And thanks for watching the movie. Just to have a comment in this episode, Nick. I love you. Thank you. At Retro Rumble Blog said, One of the best X-Men films just behind X2. Whilst it's a loose adaptation of the comic, it's impressive how they managed to weave together the two timelines. Just don't think about it too much. At Movie Dual Pod said, Coming so late in the series, this has no right to be as good as it is. Despite what could have been a baffling concept, it makes sense from start to finish and merges two eras of a franchise seamlessly. Fassbender rules as always and Jackman is close to his best as well. At LPBO said, Probably needs a rewatch, but it's probably my favourite of all of the X movies, sensibly mixing the franchise MVP Jackman's Wolverine with the freshness of the first class crew. I know people love X2, but I think this one just sneaks it for me. At SWA Productions said, Second or third best X-Men movie. At the 80s Movie Pod said, The theatrical cut was okay. The road cut is the only one I watch now. At Nerdstalgic underscore pod said, I loved it. I have the special edition road cut of the film, which has the version of the film they took out. And that version is even better than the original. At 2G1 Reusable Cup said, It's one of my favourite X-Men movies, but it should have been a standalone. What came after was very disappointing. At Zach Dew said, One of my favourite comic storylines, and they did an amazing job adapting it to film. We got the OG and first-class actors together in one film. I had no idea it was coming, and you can never go wrong with Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, and Ian McKellen. Oh, wait, you can. See X3. At Spooky Nat Pod said, I love the rogue Addings. She's my fave character since I was a tiny child. Haha, <laughs> honestly, I like all the X-Men movies. And at George Theroist said, 
Loved it and the road could be even better. The Fox X-Men franchise is very near and dear to my heart, so I'm looking forward to hearing this. Moving over to Instagram, we have at Top10Pods who said, A great superhero movie with clever time travel plot and fantastic action set pieces genuinely came out of the cinema enthralled. And over on Facebook, we have Kieran who said, Been a while since I watched it, but I thought it was one of the stronger X-Men films and managed to join the old and new cast together fairly effectively. And finally, moving over to threads, we have at RU57Y14 who said, Bar X2, I think this is the best movie of the X-Men franchise to date. It takes from the source material and successfully adapts it to the big screen while adding its own flavour. The cast are at their best and the ending is rewarding without descending into too much cheese. A solid 8.5. And at Drew Toynbee who says, Such a fantastic surprise, just how gracefully this movie stitched together the two versions of the X-Men. It had no reason to go as hard as it did and now I'm going to have to watch it tonight. And Drew, I hope you did watch it tonight. As always, thank you to everyone for your comments on X Days of Future Past. And if you're listening and you want to have your comments read out in episodes, the thoughts post, they go up on social media, normally on a Friday, at Verbal Diorama on Twitter. Yes, I'm still calling it Twitter. Instagram, Facebook and threads. You can find me, you can comment on that post and I will read your comment out. And really, films about time travel are ten a penny. But good films about time travel... I guess so. It's easy to get bogged down in the science, or not at all if you're Bill and Ted. I still love it. But given the chance, we'd all choose to change something in history. Days of Future Past excels because of what came before it, the coming together of two sets of characters, old and new, in a cinematic event unheard of at the time that's since been bettered, but still feels different. You could sit and nitpick continuity, especially when this movie does such a great job at pretending other movies don't exist, But seeing these characters again, ones we grew up with, like Halle Berry Storm and the much-welcomed gravitas of Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, again sharing the screen together as Charles and Eric, it's something fans thought would never happen. And not only did it happen, it was amazing. If I could nitpick, it would be to have the Sentinels gain their powers from Rogue rather than Mystique. Because to me, having Sentinels that can absorb powers from other mutants to destroy them makes more sense than having sentinels that can mimic other mutants. But Jennifer Lawrence is a key player. She's a recent Oscar winner, having won Best Actress in between First Class and its movie, so of course they want Mystique front and centre. As much as I understand the need to trim down a movie that's already two hours plus, the rogue stuff is great, adds more tragedy and more character development to both the 2023 scene and the 1973 scene, and Anna Paquin deserves a final hurrah as the character, despite my feelings on the depiction of Rogue never being quite to my liking. This movie works, and it really shouldn't. It works as a continuation of First Class, it works as a retcon to The Last Stand, which most agree is quite bad, although it does have some good stuff in it. It works to fix continuity between the original trilogy and X-Men Origins Wolverine and First Class, and it works to reboot the series with new characters going forward, despite that reboot not really working as this one does. This one has characters we truly love lamenting the past, the infighting between mutants, and asks, is the future truly set? Sexual assault allegations against Singer would come out just before this movie premiered, but that wouldn't stop him from going on to helm Apocalypse, and despite Simon Kinberg's thoughtful and interesting adaptation of Days of Future Past, that wouldn't stop him from adapting and directing Dark Phoenix in 2019, which was yet another misfire for the franchise. 
20th century folks were never going to stop on the highs of data future past, but maybe they should have. Maybe take some advice from the original comics ending. Did we actually change the future? Who knows? Fade to black. Done. But did they? Just like Charles says, just because someone stumbles and loses their path doesn't mean they're lost forever. But maybe hug someone a little tighter today. Because while the future isn't truly set, the future will happen. And we don't have Kitty Pride to send us back to change it. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on X-Men Days of Future Past. And just by listening to this podcast, you are supporting this podcast and you're getting involved and you're helping this podcast grow. But if you do want to do more, you can. You can leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You can retweet or like posts on social media. As I said, I'm at Verbal Diorama, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads, and Letterboxd. Or you could simply tell your friends and family about Verbal Diorama and about all of the 223 episodes of this podcast. There are loads, so many in the back catalogue. They are out there. Have a listen. There's so much out there for you to enjoy. And if you did like this episode on X-Men Days of Future Past, you might also like the following episodes. Yes, they are all the X-Men episodes. I've done a lot of X-Men on this podcast, but I'm only going to recommend the X-Men timeline episodes so far. So episode 56, X-Men, episode 111, X-Men 2, and episode 156, X-Men First Class. I have also done episodes on Logan and X-Men Dark Phoenix. I love X-Men. X-Men is my favourite thing in the world. Oh, I've also done an episode on the X-Men animated series as well. Have a look for that in your podcast app. The X-Men animated series is genuinely one of my favourite things ever. And Night of the Sentinels, the two-part premiere of that series, was such a fascinating thing to go into the history and legacy of last autumn. But really, in the live-action X-Men timeline, you can't go wrong with any of those three episodes. As always, give me feedback. Let me know what you think of the recommendations, all those episodes, actually. So the next episode, patrons were given a choice for sequel timber. And they chose big. Back in August 2021, I did an episode on Jaws. And patrons decided they didn't just want an episode on Jaws 2, or Jaws 3, or Jaws the Revenge. They wanted all three together in one mega shark-filled episode. So for the first time, a triple bill episode on the history and legacy of Jaws 2, Jaws 3D, and Jaws the Revenge. Are you excited? I am so excited to talk about all of those movies. So please join me next week for the history and legacy of Jaws 2, Jaws 3D, and Jaws the Revenge. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to Amity, back to SeaWorld, or back to the Bahamas. And if you have enjoyed this episode and you do want to help this podcast grow, and you do want to support this podcast financially, you're under no obligation to do so. But if you do, go to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon and join the amazing patrons of this podcast. Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kat, Andy, Mike, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Lisa, Sam, Jack, Dave, Jason, Stuart, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Tyler, Stu, Brett, Philip, and Michelle. And their muter powers are basically keeping this podcast going with equipment and subscriptions and all of that amazing stuff. I do also have a merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. But if you do want to get in touch and you want to say hi, you can email me verbaldiorama at gmail.com. 
Or you can go to noblediorama.com and you can fill out the little contact me form on there and it will pop me an email. Or you can find my work at filmstories.co.uk. You can find the magazine that I write in and also articles as well online. And finally. If I could save time in a bottle The first thing that I'd like to do Save every day till eternity passes away just to spend them with you. If I could make days last forever, if words could make wishes come true, I'd save every day like a treasure and then again. I would spend them with you But there never seems to be enough time To do the things you want to do Once you find them I've looked around enough to know That you're the one I want to go through time with Hey there, classmates. Tune in to Middle Class Film Class every Monday and Wednesday for weekly movie news, streaming picks, and one deep dive review. The Batman trailer. There was a teaser. There was a trailer. Trailer one, trailer two. Final trailer? I don't know if it's the same one. How many trailers do we need exactly? Leave an email or a voicemail to join in the discussion. Bullshit artist! Uh, <laughs> yeah, buddy! All That's right. awesome. You're going full Danzig. That's right, I am. My, my trans has no power over me. me. <laughs> <laughs>